Put him in the aisle. Gets a shotgun snap. Final play of the game. Ron waiting for the wideouts to get downfield. Launches the throw down toward the goal line. Going up. Ball tipped in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Jordan Westerkamp. Nebraska wins the game on the final play of the contest. Oh, baby. Side back to throw is Martinez. Now being chased, throws it out. A flat Burkhead makes a catch. Sits a tackle. 25 20, 15 10, 5. Rex Burkhead. Touchdown, Nebraska. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for joining us here on Church of the Corn. Zach and Drake here. Drake, what's up, bud? How are you? Not much, brother. I am good. We are coming up on the best week in sports. And that is the beginning of March Madness. Yeah, I was going to say um, we happened to just time this out by dumb luck that uh, you know, everyone got picked or the uh, brackets are set. Any games yeah. that I don't know if you got a chance. Did you get a chance to look at the bracket? I assume you did. No, no, I have not. I, uh, I just got bitch. home. I have the bracket in front of me. I haven't I haven't broke it down yet. Um. Just just since you've got it pulled up in front of you, are there any games that stand out that are ones that, for someone that watches basketball quite a bit, are ones that you personally are really bought into? Yeah, so I am, and I don't know when this game is, but I'm really interested in the St. Patrick's Day game, 5 Miami versus 12 Drake. Um, that one's going to be name. interesting. No, no. Uh, I I have a close tie to Drake's head coach, um, Darren, d- Darren DeVries. DeVries. Yeah, Darren DeVries from when he was at Creighton. But I also have a pretty close tie. Uh, I have a buddy that used to be on Jim Laranega's staff at Miami. I actually have a photo of me and the best man of my wedding hanging out with Jim Laranega when Miami played in Lincoln a few years ago. Uh, when Tim Miles was still the coach. So that game I just have vested interest in from that perspective. But I also think that's going to be a good game. I think that is a sneaky upset potential. Drake has an average starting lineup age of around 23 years old. So that one's going to be interesting. Um, I'm also obviously very interested in number six Creighton versus 11 NC State. Um, Let's see who else... Do I have down here that I'm interested in? I'm interested in VCU St. Mary's. I have a buddy on VCU staff. So, again, vested interest. Um, and I think this is the first time VCU's won their conference since 2015, I believe, uh, if, I, if I read correctly earlier today. It has been a while. Because um, was that with Shaka Mary- Smart still, or was that with someone else? Yeah. Uh, Shaka Smart, I believe, was still there, but he could have just just left. Okay, I know it was pretty Memphis close coach. when he went. Yeah, when he left. Yeah. Um inter- I'm interested in TCU. I have ties to Jamie Dixon through family. Uh not related. I have I have family that knew him from when he was at Pitt and he they were on the baseball staff at Pitt. Uh Gonzaga, you got a local kid and Hunter Salas on that team. So um Kansas State uh, I like seeing what they do. I really like their coach. 
And there is another game, and I'm not seeing the team. Give me one second as I go through here. So it's definitely not Nebraska. They unfortunately didn't make it for another year. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's a play-in game. Southern Missouri versus Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Uh, that's a play-in for a 16 seed. I don't expect either of them to beat Alabama. But for the second straight year, another guy I worked with on the staff at Creighton is in the tournament for Texas A&M Corpus Christi and Steve Lutz, who I think is climbing up the coaching charts pretty fast. And, you know, a few years after at a after being at another high higher level mid major, I don't hate him to take the Nebraska job. Uh, the guy the guy can coach his ass off, and and I you know I have close ties to him. I I actually like him a lot. He's a great guy. Uh, so I like I like to see all the guys that I know do well. So Miami Drake, that game is going to be really tough for me. I don't know Larinaga all that well. I do know Coach D Rock pretty well, um, but I'll be I'll be pulling for Drake in that one. And no, not because we share the same name, but that is an added benefit. I just naturally just assumed it was because you guys shared the same name. So that's my bad for assuming, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> since you, you had brought up, you know, a, a coach that you know that had had a lot of mid-major experience or, you know, had gotten it with Nebraska's coaching spot. Who knows if it'll be open or not? Do you think that I'm, I'm telling you now it will won't be? No, it won't be. And I, I, I said this a couple so weeks ago. I, I said this a couple weeks ago. And I've been pretty vocal about it. Um, once Scott Frost didn't reach October first, Fred was going to have to have a disastrous season to lose his job. Um, it turns out he ended up having a pretty good season in comparison to what he's done at Nebraska. Um, I hope yeah. next year continues that trend. I don't have a lot of hope for it. I, I hope it does continue to improve. Um, it, if he's hovering around 500 again next year um, or worse, I, I think you got to pull the plug. And I think Trev feels the same way based off conversations I've had with people tied into Nebraska basketball. No, no official titles with Nebraska basketball. Um, but yeah, I just, if Fred doesn't come out and win 16 to 18 games next year, minimum, it's going to be hard to keep him um, because that's that's five years of no postseason play. And, that's a, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I seen a poll about this on Twitter within the last I don't know maybe a week or two, and it, it got me thinking because I'll watch Nebraska basketball when it's on. You know I'm not I'm I'm not the biggest basketball fan in general, but I respect the game yeah. and I'll watch it, um, especially if you've got some, some tremendous athletes out there. But it was the question of what should the expectations for Nebraska basketball be, or I guess you can say Hoiberg if you want to, but I would just say Nebraska basketball in general, because I feel like the um, expectations with basketball and football are on polar, you know, completely different levels or with. Yeah. But I, I guess the amount of love and everything put into the football program, it makes sense. though, right? Like those expectations. Yeah. Should be higher. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, Start by answering your question in regards to Nebraska. Then I'm I'm going to back out and, and go to Creighton too because I just had this conversation on Blue Jay over time about Creighton's expectations. So I'm gonna I'm gonna use that to rationalize my answer. Uh, first off, 
I, I don't think you did this intentionally, but I think you took a slight at Nebraska basketball fans there. I think Nebraska basketball fans are far more loyal than the football fans. If you're a true diehard Nebraska basketball fan, because that team has been bad for decades. And when I say decades, even, (laughs) even, even when they won the NIT championship in the nineties, even when they were winning big eight titles, that team had still never won an NCAA tournament game, still never has period as a program. And we used to fill up the Devaney. The Devaney was always rocking. Now, now uh, Pinnacle Bank Arena is rocking. Nebraska basketball fans are a special breed in terms of their glut. They are gluttons for punishment, and um, so I I think they deserve better than what they've gotten over these last four years. I think they deserve far better than what they've got. And I'm not saying I'm not just saying that because I'm also a diehard Nebraska fan. Um, but it helps that you're a diehard Nebraska fan. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I'm diehard Nebraska through and through. But speaking objectively in this role, the fan base deserves far better than they've gotten. Now, as far as expectations, I've long held this belief, and I've talked about it on this podcast a couple of times. I think it is easier to catch lightning in a bottle from a basketball perspective and get to the NCAA tournament and have a really good season. It's super easy to catch that lightning in a bottle and basketball as opposed to it is to football because in football with the physicality and everything that goes into it, injuries take their toll. There's far more injuries in football. You get, you get wore down quicker and eventually just talent rises to the top. Whereas in basketball, one guy can take over a game couple guys can take over an entire season at most you're going 10 deep the best teams go you know between nine and seven deep um but i think basketball is a much harder program to build sustainably i I think it's harder to build a long-term successful program in basketball and there's two reasons for that now the first one is even before the transfer portal basketball was a huge transfer sport People were in and out of programs all the time, far more than football, or at least maybe not far more than football, but at a higher percentage of contributors were transferring. It seemed like uh, the normal major, more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. So a higher percentage of major contributors transfer in college basketball than they had in football prior to the portal. With the portal, that their percentage has stayed about the same, whereas in football, it's obviously gone up. Um. And it's really hard to build success, especially in the Big Ten for basketball, when you're rolling out a new new you know core every year. And that's been my problem with Fred. I, I've said this um, for three or four years. The best four teams in the Big Ten, minus one or two, depending on the year, they were built by four and five year guys in that starting lineup and their bench rotation, and they had an average age for their starting lineup older than the Chicago Bulls, which. In fairness, was the youngest team in the league. They were continually getting first and second picks uh, because they had been so bad. So, can you so going off what you said because I think you brought up a good point about the Big Ten, where it's it's a older league, if you will, where you've got juniors and senior dominated teams. You've seen it in football where the, the football team's gone young. You've seen it with the basketball team where there's constant turnover. Isn't the way to fix a lot of these issues? I mean, it goes down to development. That's the number one thing I think that we're missing right now is development. 
Yeah. Well, so development is obviously huge. Obviously, for for basketball and Fred, it's been really hard to develop because you don't have guys staying. Um, it's hard to do now, a lot in one year. First, yeah. So, and and this this leads into it. Like football, it's a lot easier to backfill a roster with talent and develop those guys because your roster is so big. Basketball, you have 12, 13 scholarships, maybe, and a lot of those guys leave. Um, and you see it with teams like Kentucky now that have built themselves on the one and done. Now they're they're not as good as they historically have been because now everybody does it. Mm-hmm. So I think Kentucky, from a basketball perspective, is going to get hurt by NIL more than they're going to be helped. And it's because of that. Now everybody's kind of on more of a level playing field in terms of being able to pay guys and – you know, I'm not accusing Cal of playing paying guys prior, but what Cal had in his bag was, hey, you come play for me, I'll get you to the league. Well, now you can go somewhere, get paid, be a stud, and get to the league. So I think that's going to hurt them a little bit. But back to my expectations for Nebraska basketball, th- there's a level system. And we've talked about it for football, too. Like, Bo Pelini's cap at Nebraska was 9 to 10 wins, and we had to bring in the right guy after him to get us to 11-12. Yep. So basketball, I think our expectations right now should be finish above 500 in the Big Ten, finish above 500 in Big Ten play, and consistently be on the NIT to NCAA tournament bubble. Consistently be there. Not always, not get there every year, but you have to be there consistently. And the reason I say that is, you know, the other night we were talking about it with Creighton on Blue Jay overtime. This year coming in, Creighton's expectations were – Final four from a lot of people. Not for me. For me, it was still the Sweet 16 because they'd only been to the Sweet 16 once. And yeah, they returned a lot of guys. They got a major transfer in. But for me, you have to consistently do something for the next level to be your expectation. Now, you always have the goal of the next level, but your expectation is a bare minimum. So my expectation for Creighton consistently is Sweet 16, like you have to get to the Sweet 16 and you have to do it two or three times before I put you as an expectation of the Elite Eight. So for me, for Nebraska, consistently NIT to NCAA tournament bubble conversation. This year they were in the bubble conversation late in the season, which is success for them. Now they have to get to the tournament, you know, two out of four years, three out of four years before now my expectation is round of 32. Then do that for a couple of years, then round of Sweet 16. That's how I look at it for basketball, just because you really do have to level up. Look how long it's taken Gonzaga to get to a Final Four, and they've been a powerhouse. I think that's that's really fair. with, And, and that's honestly where I've got them as well, is you you got to be above 500, or at least you know, you're going to have your years where you're down. But those years still can't be yeah. below 500. Um, you you got to at least give your fan base some hope of, hey, you know, at the end of this year, they're going to be in some sort of talk for postseason play. And, you know, even play meaningful with, basketball late in the year. Exactly. I think that's all Nebraska fans honestly want is play big time basketball when it counts. And that could even be in just in the Big Ten tournament, not getting bounced by the number 14 seed in the first game. Now, granted, they, they didn't play, you know, they, they, Played kind of up and down like we've seen all year. I think that's a fair assessment of this team is you never know what you're going to get game to day, game to game. Um, yeah, and, that's, and so like, that's been a constant in Fred's tenure, though. 
Yeah, and so for me, like this is my these are my two biggest gripes with the Fred Hoiberg era. First one is it's a reset every year. And I feel like next year is going to be another reset. Even though they have a ton of guys they can bring back, I still feel like it's going to be a reset. I feel like guys are going to transfer out. They're going to bring transfers in. Um, So I feel like it's going to be another reset, which if you bring in the right guys, doesn't really matter. I don't know that they're going to bring in the right guys. They haven't seemed to yet. Mm-hmm. So with next year being another reset, that's that's one knock. But my second one is until there until two starters went down and you started playing Kese Tomanagamore and running everything through Derek Walker for four years, we real three and a half years, we really haven't had any sort of an identity on what and what they want to do on either end of the floor. Previously, they were not good defensive teams. This year they were a good defensive team. But offensively, I don't like that's the most frustrating thing for me as a basketball fan when I don't understand what you're really trying to do offensively because of how you set up, how the guys play. Like, at least in Fred's first two years, I knew that they wanted to run and get shots up quick because that's what they did. You know, his first year, they were the fastest ran offense in the country. And I could live with that, even though I didn't necessarily like it because they couldn't shoot the ball for shit. I understood it. And I, if I can understand it, I can live with it because you can make corrections if you understand it. This year, up up until those injuries, I didn't ever understand what they were really trying to do. And I feel like if you lose Keisei Tominaga, you're already losing Derek Walker, you're starting over from scratch again because you're not going to – as Derek Walker is going to be very hard to replace, even as an undersized center in that conference. What he gave you was pretty special. That's hard to replace. What Kese Tominaga did for the offense in terms of being able to light it up from three better than most people in the Big Ten and his constant movement, it's really hard to coach what guys do off the ball the way he does, and he just understood it. So not being able to replace those two guys, I don't know where you go from an offensive you know, game plan. And at times that's kind of been my problem with teams like Creighton and some other teams like – you don't know who your guy is. Like that's my biggest problem with Creighton right now. Who's the guy? Mm-hmm. They don't have a guy because they have so much. They have so much potential talent that they don't, you know, put it on one guy's shoulders late in the game. That's my problem with them right now. Switching that over to Nebraska, I have no idea who's going to step in to be the guy. Yeah, that's I, that's that's pretty fair. Um, I, I think something you said, Walker losing him is is going to be a, a bigger loss than most of us. Um, or maybe as big of a loss as most of us think. But going something you said that, that, you know, Fred's team every year is essentially a new team because it's brand new players brought in and you're getting the constant transfers and the one and dones and such. You know, you, you, you've got a Kentucky that, that built that model or essentially was built on that model and they're blue blood. Like they can do it and they can constantly get these guys that are major contributors of other schools and bring them in. Nebraska's not there. Like they haven't shown the track record of being able to not only not get guys to the next level, but to develop a scheme where guys can showcase talent. Yeah. So going to Kentucky, like one of the hardest things to do in basketball when you have the kind of talent that he that Calipari has is coat manage the egos. Mm-hmm. Like 
a lot of those guys on those teams, I go back to the last national championship team with Anthony Davis. I don't think they had a guy on that roster that averaged more than 15 points a game. When you have five guys in at Kentucky, sometimes seven and eight, that could average 25 to 30 a game at the college level. How do you get those guys to buy in and give up shots? Like that's really hard to do. And you know, Nebraska ran into it last year with Bryce McGowan's. Like Bryce McGowan's was the only NBA prospect on that team, truthfully. You had a couple of guys that might end up with a cup of coffee or playing the G League, whatever it is. More of those guys are going to go play professionally overseas. How do you justify to Bryce McGowan's to take five less shots a game and get two more assists? It's really hard when he's the only legitimate NBA talent. And, you know, until Nebraska is able to recruit four to five NBA guys on a roster, which is going to be very hard. I don't I just I don't understand what. I don't understand how you build that model. It worked for Fred at Iowa State, partly because the staff was very good at managing egos, but he was also able to get guys with chips on their shoulders. Guys, well, didn't, that, uh, he have Otzelberger or, as a. Yep. And, and I've, I've said this numerous times. Yeah, I've said this numerous times. Fred, like my biggest concern about Fred coming in, and I was pro Fred coming in, even though I was anti firing Miles. I was pro Fred as his replacement. One of the things I brought up consistently was Fred took the Chicago Bulls job, and in one of his early press conferences, he said he did not enjoy recruiting. So. After year two, I started to draw some parallels to everything going on in Nebraska and what had happened for him at Iowa State. And I'll be honest, here's here's the most simple answer as to why what he did at Iowa State doesn't work in Nebraska outside of the age part of it. Matt Abdomasi was a great recruiter. He knew how to win over talent and get talent to come to you. What he didn't know, in my humble opinion, I've never recruited like that so you know, you, if you want to tell me to go kick rocks or go fuck myself, I get it. But I don't think Fred uh, Matt honestly knew how to make pieces fit. Mm-hmm. And if Fred's not involved, it, it wasn't going to work. I think TJ Otzelberger or Otzelberger, I don't know how to say his name, at Iowa State, who was on Fred's staff at Iowa State, was the one who kept it all together. He was heavily involved in recruiting with Abdel Massey. And my understanding is Abdelmasi was the only one really recruiting when he was here. So if you don't have somebody else being heavily involved that knows how to make pieces fit, of course you're going to get what we get. And I said at, at the end of year two that Fred should have been on the hot seat because I think it is unacceptable at any Power 5 program to win 14 games only in two years. It's you hard play to 10 to that. 15 non-conference <laughs> games. You play 10 to 15 non-conference games, theoretically, Theoretically, unless you're playing Kansas or another Power 5 non-conference team, which Nebraska rarely plays more than three, you should be able to win seven to eight games there alone and go get three to five, even when you're really bad in the Big Ten. You should be able to go win three to five games, which puts you at about 12 wins. If you're below 12 wins for two straight years, I think you should be gone. That's my personal opinion. It's not hard to win 10 to 12 games in college basketball. It really isn't. There are very bad teams that do it all the time. 
Yeah, it's just it's just incredible that Nebraska seems to continually find itself in the same holding pattern of what they've done outside of a, a run under Miles, and you know the, it, it, but it just seems like it's the same shit year after year for the most part. Yeah, so here here is where I I was with at Miles at the end of his tenure. Year two, he overachieved, which was, you know, probably the worst thing for him at the time because that set an expectation. He returned most of that that team the following year, and, you know, they just underperformed. But I, I would argue that they way overperformed in year two. So then, you know, his last two years, though, you know, he's the first team in Big Ten history to finish in the top four in conference play and not make it to the NCAA tournament. They ended up somehow not hosting an NIT game and and got bounced pretty quickly. Um, but that team was good enough to be in the NCAA tournament, and I would I would argue that they were so deflated that's why they got bounced early in the NIT. But year two, he had just as many injuries as Fred did this year. Um, it got to the point where Noah Vedral and Brant Banks were on the roster for for the Big oh, Ten. Oh shit! Tournament. That was whoa, man! That was well. I'm like sorry. I'm so sorry. No. Nope, I'm sorry. No, Vedral and Brant Banks were on the roster for Fred's first year. I was going to say, holy shit, that seemed like that was a long time ago. <laughs> but still, I mean, that's still four years ago, right? That's yeah, year one it's still crazy. Um, but Tim Miles, you know, he made a run in the in the Big Ten tournament with three walk-ons playing consistent minutes and ended up making it to the second round of the NIT. And that team was NCAA tournament bound until they lost three guys to season engine ending injuries you lost two starters and a six man and that team still finished like 18 and 12 or 18 and 14 something like that um yeah that team ended up being pretty good even with those bad injuries and made it to the second round of the nit and so i was really like beating the drum to hold on to miles like yeah he for for about a three to four year span he was here for seven for a three to four year span they were pretty bad but they still never won less than 10 games uh you know i think i think the least amount he won was 12 or 13 and his last two years he had ncaa tournament quality teams i felt like he had finally stabilized the program was recruiting Big Ten caliber players and was ready to roll. Also, you know, through my ties to the Omaha basketball community, I'm still very well convinced that if Tim Miles is the coach, Chucky Hepburn, Hunter Salas, and the kid, I can't ever remember his name, the kid that's redshirting at Virginia right now, are on Nebraska's roster right now if we don't fire uh, Tim Miles. I could be wrong, but that's kind of what I've heard within my basketball circle around Omaha and you get those three guys, you're looking pretty good right now it, to not only the fan base, but to the NCAA selection committee, because all of those guys are power players. So let's say this, because I know you're a big miles guy and always have been. Let's say that miles is never let go. Where do you think this program is now? Let's do a little uh, time travel here. I think this program is, for the last four years, squarely in the NCAA tournament conversation. I, I, I think he had, 
I I felt at that time that he had stabilized the program and was going to be a consistent NCAA tournament converse, conversation team. Um, probably only getting there once or twice in those in these last four years, but you know, getting to the NIT, probably hosting an NIT game or two, and you know, just having the program on an up and up pr- trajectory. It, you can convince me that you know after after uh, Roby leaves that that team falls apart, but I don't think it does because I think he had he had built what he needed to build, and you know in my opinion one of the marks that make made Tim a great coach was every assistant that ever left his team took a better job whether it was an assistant job at a better Power Five school or taking a head coaching job. And I think that's a sign of a great coach. And, you know, there's evidence that he's a good coach. He just won the Mountain West Coach of the Conference Coach of the Year. San Jose State just won their first conference tournament game since joining the Mountain West. Um, you know, I, I'm i always going to be a big fan of Tim Miles and what he brought to this program. Um, I'm, I'm not anti-Fred by any means, but Fred just hasn't lived up to expectations in my eyes. No, and Miles has continued doing what he's doing of taking a program that's not successful at the moment or not been traditionally successful and leave and getting them to a much higher mark, like you said, with San Jose State. He did it with Nebraska. He did it with, was it South Dakota State as well, I believe? South Dakota State. Um, he did it at the NIA, NIA, NAIA level. He did it at the Division Two level. Like this guy worked his way up the coaching tree. And, you know, we talked about it last week, too. Um, I hate to keep beating this drum, but Tim Miles is a builder. Tim, The reason Tim Miles is a career 500 coach is because he t- he would take over dumpster fire programs, have a really bad first year, sometimes a really bad second year, but then he would get that team to the NCAA tournament and would get a better job and leave. He never stayed long enough to, you know, enjoy what he had built because he wanted the next the next building job. Yeah, and it seems like that's what gets what it seems like that's what some guys prefer. Like, I feel like we've got one, you know, he's a builder. We've got one in the football program that he's a builder. I feel like that's kind of what the basketball program is missing now is someone that's a builder as opposed to a implementer. Um, and, and and just someone that's that knows what they want to do and, and can have a solid plan for how they want to accomplish it because we haven't. Had yeah, that. for sure. I think that's the hardest yeah, so thing. So, a lot of people. I remember this conversation um, in terms of how I how I rationalize that to defend Miles. A lot of people said the same thing about you know Mike Riley. Career five hundred coach is a career five hundred coach for a reason. But my caveat to that is, Mike Riley was a career five hundred coach at one school for twenty plus years. Tim Miles was a career 500 coach going from bad school to slightly less bad school mm-hmm. consistently, but at higher competition. Like I don't think Tim Miles stayed anywhere longer than four to five years other than Nebraska and Nebraska. I, I firmly believe this. I think Nebraska is the hardest power five program to build in terms of college basketball, because we have no true history. Uh, we play in, you know, one of the meanest conferences in terms of college basketball. I think the Big Ten is 
does themselves a disservice and we can do a different pot on that. I, I know I've beat the drum on that plenty, but um, it is a very tough conference to play because of the physicality of that conference and your team gets worn down. And I think it took Tim a few years to adjust to that and start recruiting the right way. I think Fred is finally realizing that and trying to change how he recruits. But, um, you know, again, I just, I can't, I'll never get over the fact that in two years we want to combine 14 games. And then in three years we want to combine 24. That, that to me is just so detrimental to the future of the program from a big name coach. Now, if this had been, you know, a coach that you brought up from a junior college or something like that. Maybe I feel a little bit different. I don't think I do, but maybe I do. Um, Fred Hoiberg was the hottest name in basketball when we hired him for college, college jobs. He had all the advantages that you see a new football coach get, you know, name recognition and a, a school with plenty of resources, great facilities, we still have great facilities, even with how bad this basketball program has been historically. I just, for three years of completely subpar performances, it's going to be really hard for for Fred to do something to make me feel like it's on the on the right track. Um, now, if he goes out and wins twenty games next year, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a different feeling, obviously. So that was going to be my next question for you because I, I don't want to say we're both kind of pessimistic on Fred Hoiberg's future here at Nebraska, but I, I feel like he's kind of maximized with what he's done or had, I guess. I don't know. I feel like the talent has always been there. It's just not been utilized correctly. It's like having a guy like you were talking about, Abdamasi, who, who can get you a puzzle but can't put it together. I just – I don't want to say we're pessimistic about – the future Nebraska basketball, but let's say he does go below 500 again next year. We're looking for a new coach. What route do you think they should go? I guess. Do you think you should go, you know, power five assistant who's extremely successful? Do you do someone like a miles who's built it at a lower, lower level? I mean, there's, there's no right or wrong, I guess, but what, what would your opinion be? So my opinion is going to strictly be a personality type because I think you can get this personality on a power five staff, a lower level staff, or even at a Juco staff. Um, you're going to need a personality similar to rule the equivalent of Matt rule in a basketball world. You're going to need a true grinder. Um, and that's why I like, I love Steve Lutz. Um, you know, he had coached in the junior college ranks. He coached at Incarnate Word. Um, he's bounced around from Power 5 school to Power 5, like very good in basketball is Power 6, Power 6 schools. He was an assistant at Creighton for a few years and a longtime assistant at Purdue and has been successful with where he's at at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. You need a true grinder. I think you need a grinder that has connections to – junior college talent and connections to overlooked basketball talent high schools. Uh, I think there's a ton of them. I've long said Nebraska is overlooked for basketball talent because we don't run around with a lot of six ten to seven footers. Um, I think our guard play is quite exceptional at the high school level, um, especially with all the national things that I've seen. 
So I think I think you flat out need a grinder. Um, there's actually a lot of basketball coaches that I that I don't love for the head jo- head coaching job, but I truly love them to be rounded out on the assistant staff. Um, one of them is Adam Blaylock. He's a former college assistant, uh, former college teammate of mine. He was a he was listed when he was at a junior college down in Texas as one of the top up and coming coaches for his recruiting capabilities and his development. He's now at a small, um, I think he's at Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne as an assistant. I think he'd be a great assistant on, on any staff at Nebraska because of his ties, both to the Juco, his love for developing guys and how hard he works. I just know how hard he works because he was a teammate of mine. I, he's obviously not, ready for for the Nebraska job as a head coach, but I think he would be an elite assistant there. Um, guys like that, just guys that want to come in and do the work and, and not only go after flashy names, because I think Nebraska is very much like we need, we need guys who are going to bring their hard hat to work for, on the basketball team. Just like we need, you know, those same guys on the football team in certain, certain spots. Um, I think Nebraska basketball has to be built like what Shaka Smart built at VCU and what he's building at Marquette right now. You got to get some guys that are under recruited and are going to play with a chip on their shoulder and they're going to play high energy all the time. And I think your coach needs to be very high energy. That's why I love Miles. It's one of my knocks on Fred is Fred is not a high energy guy. I know that's just not how he's wired. I think you need that at Nebraska right now. Somebody that can help manufacture energy when things aren't going well. Yeah, you've you've heard a lot of coaches. I mean, Frost kind of brings this one where you know it's like you got to bring your own energy. Well, as a coach, uh, you know, I, I've been a trainer for a long time now, and sometimes your athletes just don't have it that day. I mean, on, that's on you as a coach to bring it those days. Like, mm-hmm. you, it's supposed to start and end with you. I mean, it does. If you don't win enough games, or and if you lose too many, you get fired. You got to have your players in a mindset where it's. Every day, it's a it's a consistent, it's a constant, and it it just hasn't been there. Which is, I, I think, for me, that's maybe the most frustrating part is just the inconsistency well, of being an energy consistent. Yeah, just bring, you can I mean, bring that. Like that's one it. thing you control. How often do we say teams take on the mannerisms and the personality of their head coaches? All the time, right? Pretty often, yeah. When you are building something from nothing like you are at Nebraska basketball, you have to bring the energy. Um, you know, when you are – and I don't mean this to knock any players in Nebraska, but let's face it, almost everybody they play in night in, night out and within the conference has more talent. You know what You know what overrides talent? Energy. If you Effort can bring energy, energy – if you can bring energy every night – you have a chance. And I think Nebraska has to win to, to get to where they want to be. They have to win by playing bully ball. Um, they have to muck up the game and make it ugly. Like it's not going to be pretty basketball and that's going to be hard for me to watch unless there's a plan behind it. And that's what Shaka did at VCU. They pressed the whole time um, and they shot the ball quick. Like Fred likes to do offensively, but they pressed the whole time and made that game ugly. Because they knew if they pressed for 40 minutes, yeah, they were going to give up some layups, but they were going to create far more havoc and have a shot at the end of the game. And that's really all you can ask for. I can live 
with a 10 win team if they are in 90% of the games. Well, and, and honestly, it, I, that's what I want is I want you to press because at that point you pressing on the defensive side of the ball shows me you're giving that kind of energy and you've got that, that dog in you, if you will. Yeah. And so this is, I started doing this when I was coaching high school um, and I was in charge of scouting reports for opposing teams. I sat down with the head coach and I said, Hey, we need to simplify our scouting reports and focus on us. And his question to me was why? And I said, at a certain point, you know, if you're playing with a little less talent or whatever, the focus needs to be on what we do. We're going to play the game the way we want to play it. I don't, I don't give a shit what the other team does. If we're going to play away in a way to make the game ugly, so we have a shot to win, then then we need to focus on that. How are we going to make it ugly? Not what are they going to do on this out of bounds play? Like I would simplify scouting reports all the time. You have a couple. You just you know go over tendencies of players on the opposing team, how you may, how you plan on shutting that player down, and how are we going to attack what they do. I don't care what they do. I want to know how we're going to attack it because we're going to do what we do. And when we started doing that, we got we got insanely better because if if you're a bad team and you're focusing on scouting other teams so much that you're losing um, losing sight of what you do and what you want to do, then your players are going to be hesitant on the court because they're going to be trying to read everything because they're so afraid of mistakes because they already know they're outgunned. But if you go in with the attitude of, hey, this is what we do, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it, totally different mentality stepping on the floor. Yeah, um, and, and having a scheme that you believe in and you've been, you're so well-versed in and, and just things like that, I feel like, are, are some of the things that set these teams that are, I don't even want to say constantly can constantly successful but are just moderately successful like they know what they do they do it well and going to like you said i don't give a shit what you do i know what you do we have to be confident in what we do to know that our plan whatever our plan of attack is is better than what you came up with or we're going to out execute you at the end of the day that's why you have an ivy league school every year in march madness upset somebody because they only care about what they do and I think that's what the best coaches do come tournament time. The best coaches, that, because you don't have a lot of time to scout. You know, you're playing every other day. And if you're focusing on scouting every team and going through a super detailed scouting report, you're not going to have time because you have to wait for results. Or you're you're spreading yourself too thin scouting everybody early. And it just doesn't work. So, Come March, you you need to know who you are, what you do, and how you do it, and you focus on that. And I think that's what the championship-level coaches do, and I think that's what championship-level coaches do in the conference tournament too. Yeah, I yeah I, I can't argue with you. I feel like at this point of the year, um, the only thing that's constant is, is you, you don't know what's coming next, essentially, at this point. But, you know, ha- knowing what you want to do, um, and, and you've got your top level coaches, which I was kind of surprised that I think it's uh, Nate Oaks down at, um, uh, Alabama has gotten that program to where they are right now, because, you know, he's been down Number there one a, seed. a fairly short amount of time, but Jesus, just his ability to kind of flip that program from a, an NIT program is where they used to be to what they are now is it, it's impressive. And I, damn. 
It's, it's yeah. It's, it's so this is this is year four for him. Oh, it's four. Okay. Yeah, this is year four for him. Um, but he had a good run while he was at Buffalo, and he was an mm-hmm. assistant at Buffalo. Um, you know, he was at Wisconsin Whitewater, which was a Division two powerhouse for basketball too. Um, the guy's got a hell of a track record in terms of being a part of success, successful programs and seeing how they operate. Um, he's an elite coach. He, he truly is. Alabama was kind of on the way up anyways, when he took over and, you know, he just. Cause they had Avery Johnson before him. Didn't the, they? Yeah. He just came okay. in and, and Avery Johnson, I think was kind of forced out. Um, but Alabama had built some brand recognition under Avery Johnson. And this guy just came in and, you know, they weren't getting the wins that they deserved. Um, they were underperforming, but they had talent. And he came in and he flipped a switch. And you see that often in basketball. Like, you just do. And I I don't know, man. I'm just I, – I think that Nebraska is in a totally different place today if when Fred takes over, he doesn't tell everybody on the roster to go find a new spot. Yeah, that's it's always tough to go in and and just completely wipe the slate and say, hey, none of y'all have a home here. So, yeah, I, we're I, gonna have a brand new team. That's and tough. obviously, I, I don't have any way of proving that point, but I I firmly believe that um, because you had guys that were developing for Big Ten basketball right there. Um, I I don't know, man. I just I feel like this team's in a different spot if he if he's able to retain a bigger chunk of that roster. And I at the time you 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 can't convince me that more of that roster didn't want to stay. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's the hard And the reason part. I say that is he he was a the biggest name in college basketball. Oh yeah. Those guys the wanted biggest to play. Name there. Yeah. Yeah, those guys wanted to play for him. And he only kept a small handful. I I think if he keeps more of it, that team is far more competitive in year one, and he's probably building up faster than he is right now. I just just a personal opinion. Don't shoot the messenger, or, or do whatever. I don't care. Yeah, at this point, who gives a shit? Um, I mean, you've already got some Big Ten bodies developing on roster at this point, and and for Big Ten basketball, that's one of the harder things to develop is just based on the size, and unless you're in the place for three to five years and you're hitting all the time, it's hard to develop with like what a Purdue is and a Michigan has and a Michigan state, like these big body programs on a year to year basis. It's tough, but they've done it because they know what they're going to do and they've been baked in forever, but they just develop and they, they know what they want to do at the end of the day. They're going to beat you up and figure it out. Yeah. I I think Matt Painter is one of the best coaches of college basketball, which is another reason why I would love to have Steve Lutz here in Nebraska in a few years, because he spent a good amount of time learning from Matt Painter and how to be competitive in the big 10. And so Lutz has taken what he's learned from Creighton, what he's learned from Purdue and kind of put it all together at a lower level and has been wildly successful. Yeah, and uh, it would be great if he could take everything he's learned and make it successful here at Nebraska. I think a lot of us would be pretty happy with that. Yeah, Lutz is a true grinder, man. Um, 
I I've seen him work up close and the hours he puts in are, are second to none. And I can say that about any guy that was on that Creighton staff that year I was there. Um, Coach Mack, total film junkie, watches more film than anybody I've ever seen um, other than me that year because I had to watch all the film and then extra film to break it down for him. But um, So Mack is yeah, second I mean, to you, you're saying. <laughs> yeah, in, in terms of how – I look, man, not to my own horn, but I don't think there's anybody who can break down a game and watch it and fast forward as well as I can. I'm glad you found out that that's your uh, actual past or your, that's your talent right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, I was pretty elite at watching six games a day and cutting, cutting up the film in fat in, in, uh, in high speed. Oh, uh, the fun part of being a GA, right? Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> well, let's do this. Only one, I've man. gotten what? a degree out of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay that's okay that's overrated anyway let's do this my man yeah. let's call it a night here um we got the spring game coming up in the next couple of weeks what do we say over the next couple of weeks we do a uh offensive and breaks that offensive and defensive breakdown with what we got and see yeah for uh, sure i mean there's a lot of new guys uh, out there new faces so yeah i think we do that you know what you know what i think would be fun when we do that what you got i think we I, th- I think we bring on a couple of listeners. Let let's do a roundtable and let, let's get a voice of the fan and what they what they want to see too. Okay, we can do that. We'll uh, try to get that set up for this upcoming week or the week after, but we'll figure that out. Yeah. Let, let's schedule it. What, what day is the spring game? Spring game, I think, is on the. Let's see, that was the twenty second, if I'm not mistaken. April twenty okay. second. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it two weeks before because, uh, or we can do it. The, we can do it the Sunday before. I'll be back the Sunday before. Oh, sixteenth. Uh, okay, perfect. I'll be out of town the eighth, uh, ninth. So perfect. No, that works for me. We'll we'll get that set up and we'll kind of do a little breakdown with some listeners and go from there. Cool. Uh, fans, if you want to be a part of that little roundtable, submit all inquiries to Zach. Thanks, and Dick. We'll, uh, no, no. Uh, just <laughs> shoot, shoot Zach and I a message uh, with with some things that you're curious about seeing, some players you're looking forward to seeing, and uh, we'll we'll pick three or four. Yeah, well, and we'll yeah, like I said, we'll get everything set up, and we'll do a fun podcast on, it and yeah, break down some uh, some new players because we got a shit ton of them. So yeah. get them over to us and. Uh, We'll, we'll rock and roll for there, but uh, Drake, you got anything should we, else? Should we set should we set betting lines on who else is leaving before before the year starts? Oh, I mean, if you gave me a number and you said five and a half, I may take over still. Well, you you have to take. I the mean, over. actually, yeah, because yeah, we're ten over. Okay, if you yeah, gave no, me no, 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 not how many, not how many. Who? I know. Oh. It's secondary and running back room for sure. See, I'm a, I, I'm not. I don't think it's the running back room. I'm, I'm torn. I, Unless I you, like- I, I know you, I know you're in tight with a couple of those backs. Maybe, you, maybe you've been having some uh, conversations that I'm not having. <laughs> um, I think, I think you're going to lose two quarterbacks. I could see quarterback. That was going to be probably my fourth position. I could I, see I that for sure. Two, I think you lose two quarterbacks. I think we lose some offensive linemen. 
See, um, I, I don't. Offensive line was one where I was pretty staunch that they weren't going to lose as much as I thought. Receivers, yeah. okay. another one I think is going to be a hit. Yeah, re- receiver for sure. Yeah. Let me ask you this: um, Every article I've read says there is a way back for Alante Brown onto this roster. Come this yeah. time next year, is he back on roster? I want to say yes because I really like what Alante Brown can do in his talent. So I'm going to say yes. I think he go back. I am. I'm hopeful. He, he's been my favorite receiver for three years. Um, I I think he's pretty special in the way he blocks out on the edge. I think this staff wants him. Mm-hmm. Um, With Betts coming I, back, I if Betts can find his way back, I feel like there's no way that Alante Brown can't find his way back. Yeah, and you, it sounds like he wasn't dismissed from the team. He hasn't officially entered the portal. Um, I think he's just figuring some stuff out. I hope he's back. Um, I would love to see him back. I, I think he's a special kid. Even if he doesn't ever produce to the level that he can, he's the right kind of guy to have on the roster. Yeah, he's got that meant that mindset that you want to build with. And playing quarterback in high school and then transitioning to wide receiver at the college level is not an easy thing to do. And I think a lot of us thought more the athleticism would, you know, show through a little bit quicker than it has. But it's, it's a tough position to learn. Um, I'm just hoping with maybe McGuire there and if he can figure out what he needs to, that we see the light. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think his lack of production last year had anything to do with him. I think it was more the play caller. I I would agree with you 100%. I don't think he's uh, – I think you could say that about a lot of guys that we're not seeing in yeah. the game. Unfortunately. I, you could say it about Mark Marcus Washington. You could say it about Isaiah Garcia-Castaneda. Everybody was a victim to the play caller outside of Trey Palmer. Casey Thompson was a victim to the play caller. Yeah, and and we've got the medical bills to show it at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the amount All of right, shots I took, but yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll continue this next week. Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody here on Church of the Corn for Drake and myself. Have a good week, everybody. We'll talk to you later. Members of the congregation. Let's raise our Kool-Aid-filled glasses and drink to all the things that were, are, and forever will be Nebraska Cornhuskers. Go Big Red. A Herd at Sports Network production.